How's everyone doing on this Super Bowl Sunday night? That's okay. That's pretty good. We are, I always say, it was mentioned to me this week that I haven't said it in a while, that we are a two-time church, which means we say things and we got to get it right the second time. So who's excited for tonight? Party after. That was almost kind of worse than the first one. Some of you are resenting the two-time church. It's okay. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor at Crossbridge, and I'm grateful that you've come tonight uh, to worship with us before uh, the Super Bowl party after. I know that there's many places you could be. There's parties all over town, but you've come to worship God and to sit under his word and to praise him and to be with God's people tonight. So thank you for coming and being a part of what God is doing in this church and the way that he's going to move in your life tonight. First question before we get into the Bible, okay? Any Chief fans in the room? So it looks like one, maybe, was kind of timid on the one. Eagles fans. Okay, so we see what's going down. Here's the real question. How many Dolphin fans we got in the room? That was worse. I, my intro was all scrapped. I had a whole thing, but nobody here likes the Dolphins. So it's okay. It's okay. We're coming for 2024, I believe. Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins, it's going to be amazing. Anyways, before we jump in and dive into the chicken tenders, we're going to dive into God's word together, okay? It's a dad joke, and I had to do it. I had to do it. You know I had to do it because I'm a dad, and I love dad jokes. Anyways, tonight we're in episode six of our series we started at the very beginning of the year called Forward Living, and we're looking into the book of Joshua to see what it looks like to live our life forward. Not live in the future, but live for what God is going to do in the future with the perspective that he gives us in the present. And so we're going to be in Joshua chapter 10 tonight. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. We'll be in a couple other places throughout scripture as well. So the best place to be is on our app. You click on the notes icon, Crossbridge Brickle app. And there's all types of notes there as well as all the passages for tonight. So let me bring us up to speed before we read our section and our passage for tonight in Joshua chapter 10. Here's what we've seen so far. Joshua, who is the leader of God's people, is leading them into the promised land to uh, push out the nations that have been there and to settle God's people in this place that he has promised to give them. Remember, God's people have been through oppression in Egypt, they've been in the wilderness, they've been through a lot, and God has now given them this place. Now, there's been ups and downs on this journey so far, but they're at the point now where they've defeated the great city of Jericho and also the city of Ai. Now, they lost to Ai in battle, but then they repented, and God was merciful to them and protected them, and so now they have defeated Ai as well as Jericho. Now, what's happening in Canaan at this time is that the news of Israel's strength and the protection from the God that they believe in is moving throughout the land. So the Amorites, which is a people group that were living there but were divided into different nations, they begin to get fearful about Israel. And they don't want Israel to kick them out. So they come up with a plan. They say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come together, five nations in one, so that we can defeat Israel soundly. Now, as this is all happening, there's another city named Gibeon. And they are actually a pretty prominent city. 
They're known for being people of war and great fighters, but they don't believe that the chances are with the Amorites. They would rather link up with the Israelites. And so they come to Joshua to ask him to make a vow that he would protect them and they could essentially be allies. Now, when they do this, they lie to Joshua and they deceive him because they know that Joshua is settling God's people in the land and God has told them to push out the people that are there. So they come to Joshua and say, hey, listen, we're from a far away land. We're not from here and we want to link up with you. We have great fighters. We have resources. We have all types of things. We want to bring it to you and we want in return for you to vow to protect us and defend us, for us to be a part of your settling of the land. So Joshua does not consult the Lord. He just decides to create this vow. It makes sense to him. They're not from Canaan. They're from somewhere else, but they're going to get fighters and resources. But then he realizes after he vows that they actually live in the neighboring city. And they lied. But he's made a vow now. Now this actually creates even more fear among the Amorite kings, in particular five of them. And they say, listen, the time is now. We're going to link up, the five of us, and we are going to go attack Gibeon. Why? Because they're thinking there's this new kind of partnership between the Gibeonites and Israel. So let's go five on one, and let's see if Joshua's actually going to protect them. Because why would he put his men in danger? It's five nations. He's just going to let that new ally fall. And that will help us to decrease his power and forces. Well, what the Amorite kings don't realize is that Joshua, though frustrated that he was deceived and not really in favor of the Gibeonites at this point, he upholds the vow because the vow was made in the name of the Lord. And so he is going to defend them and protect them because they send word to say, hey, we need your help. You made a vow. And Joshua, fearful because he's going up against five nations, goes to God and he listens to him. Now as he listens to God, here's what God says. Do not fear, for I have given them into your hands. That's exactly what Joshua needed. He goes back to the people. He goes to his army. He says, we're going to march all through the night to defend our new allies, to go up against these five nations. And so... He's marching, he's believing because he's listened to God, that God is going to protect him, that he should not fear, that they've been given over into his hands. And as they come upon these armies gathered outside of the city of Gibeon, he begins to descend. And as he descends to go into battle, God causes a panic and a confusion among these enemies of the Israelites, God's people. They panic, they're confused, it's dark, they can't see. So everything is going on. And now Israel is winning the battle against five nations. They begin to flee before they realize that they're being defeated. And Joshua and the Israelites are there. So they begin to flee and they're running away. And Joshua's chasing them with his army. And they're driving them out of the land. And as they're running away, there's hailstones falling from the sky. And it's dark so they can't see what's happening. They're getting hit from all sides. They're being driven out of the land. And then we read our passage tonight. In Joshua chapter 10, starting in verse 12, it says the following. At that time... 
Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said, remember, notice the language there. He speaks in the day, the sun is rising. And he said in the sight of Israel, in front of everybody, Sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ijalon. And the sun stood still. And the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. So as he's driving this nation out of the land, and the hailstones are falling from the sky, and the sun is rising in the day as the light is coming above, he declares this outlandish prayer, it seems, sun, stand still, and moon, while you're at it, you can stop too. And it says that the sun and the moon stood still. Joshua, who's writing this account, then adds the second half of verse 13 and verse 14 to authenticate what actually happened that day so that you know that this miracle, in fact, happened. Here's what it says. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There's never been... There has never been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, here's what's taking place. Joshua is recounting this historic day. This day where he has the audacity to pray this big prayer asking for a miracle, for the sun to stand still and the moon to stop. And then he tells you it did happen. In fact, go read the book of Jasher. That is a book that's a secondary source that has a collection of stories about heroes among the Israelites. So what he's saying is this. You don't have to just read what I'm writing. You don't have to read just the Bible's account. You can read other secondary sources of people that will tell you that the sun stood still for about a day. Because God fought for Israel. Now as you're reading this, you may be thinking, that's great. The book of Jasher says it happened. Joshua says it happened. But here's one thing I know. The sun, when it's rising, does not stay in its place all day long. It keeps going and it eventually sets. This is... Not accurate. There's no way this happened, right? I mean, is this poetic? Is Jasher just kind of, is that also poetic? I mean, what, come on, did the sun stand still? Well, here's what's interesting. The Hebrew word or the phrase there for sun stand still can mean two things. Hebrew is very much like this, a poetic language, and so you have to read the words in the context. So here, this phrase or these, these words can mean either sun, be motionless, stop moving, and moon too. Or it can mean this, sun, stop shining. Remember the account of what happened that day. They are at night attacking the Amorite kings. They're thrown into panic and confusion. They're driving them out of the land. Hailstones are coming down from the sky. And as the sun is rising, it says that Joshua, in the day, 
made this great prayer. He was asking for a miracle, which was, son, stop shining. We need darkness. They're confused. They're panicked. They can't see the hailstones coming down. We want to drive them out of the land. Sun, stop shining. Like, do not rise. Let's stay night for longer. And God did it because he fought for Israel. He was guaranteeing Israel's victory and proving that he was the one that fought for Israel. It wasn't their strength. It wasn't their ability. God threw threw them into panic. He caused confusion. He sent hailstones from the sky. And he stopped the sun from shining. Now you're thinking, okay, that seems even more ridiculous. You know? All of a sudden it's like, it's it's daytime. No, it's not. Here's what's so interesting. Several years ago, there were astrophysicists and geophysicists from Cambridge University that were doing a study on the earth and perspectives from the earth and the stars. And they found something as they were studying, which was this. The very first solar eclipse, which is where the moon moves in between earth and the sun, and the sun stops shining, stays dark. The very first solar eclipse that ever happened was in 1207 B.C. You want to take a guess the exact time that Joshua and the Israelites were in the land of Canaan? That exact time. Isn't that amazing? So really what he should have prayed was, God, give us a solar eclipse. But he said, sun, stop shining, and God knew exactly what he was saying, and he caused the very first solar eclipse that we know that has happened on earth. Isn't that amazing? There's three things I want you to see from this passage. The first is this, that we are to be people that understand that we are to listen in faith. We're to be listening in faith. Notice what happens with Joshua. Joshua has made plenty of mistakes as a leader. Oftentimes, he just kind of charges ahead and does his own thing that he believes is right and good, and he knows that God's with him, and so he just makes decisions without going to God. Hence how he got into this whole arrangement with the Gibeonites, and how they fell and were defeated by the city of Ai because they just charted ahead. Many people were not listening and following God, including Joshua at times. But here he's learning his lesson. He's growing in faith. And so he comes to God knowing he has to go defend the Gibeonites because he made a vow. But before he does anything, he goes to God and he listens. And God speaks. And he says, do not fear them, for I've given them into your hands. God tells Joshua exactly what he needed to hear. See, all throughout Scripture we see this emphasis on listening to God. Something that many of us in our day and age that's so full of noise and activity and stimulation have a hard time doing. Slowing down, being quiet, and listening to God. Proverbs 2 says this, that we're to be people that make our ear attentive to wisdom and our heart tuned to understanding. So we're to be listening for wisdom so that our heart can actually grow and gain understanding For the Proverbs 2 says, this is like treasure. This is better than silver. And when you do this, 
you will understand the fear of God and the knowledge of God. King David understood that listening in faith was so important for living your everyday life. He wrote the majority of the Psalms, and here's how David often writes when he's praying to God. He says, God, teach me your ways. Show me how to walk. Guide me in the path that you have for me. Reveal to me the way in which I am supposed to go. And here's how David will oftentimes end these statements of requesting God to give him confirmation, to guide him, to lead him, to show him. He'll say this, I will wait for you, God. Here's my request. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to listen. I'm going to wait for you before I move, before I do anything. There's this posture all throughout Scripture of listening, of being quiet, of being still, of meditating. You see, many of us have lost actually that spiritual practice of meditation. We've given it over to spiritualists and new age and think that that's just where meditation happens. No, no, meditation is Christian. Being still, being quiet, listening to God, attuning your ear, opening your heart to receive so that you might understand the knowledge of God. Meditating, listening, that's our posture. So here's a five-minute challenge for this week, okay? Start just this week and then do it every single week after, all right? Five-minute challenge. Start your day this way. I really do believe that we should start our day somewhat with this in our daily routine. Open in prayer. Set aside some time. Open in prayer. Request of God. Speak to God. And then for this week, read this psalm from David. Psalm 25, here's what it says. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, for I wait all the day long. Read Psalm 25. After you pray, or as your prayer, and then sit, quiet, Phone on do not disturb, okay, for five minutes. Don't say anything. Just listen. And after five minutes, write down what God says. Now, tomorrow when you do this, you may be like, I don't know. Maybe he said something. God doesn't always speak loudly. Sometimes he whispers. Sometimes he speaks over a course of several days because he knows we need to hear multiple times. But just write down and see what God says to you in a week when you give five minutes to listening in the morning. Five-minute challenge. That's the first lesson we see here, that we're to be people that listen in faith. Secondly, we see that we are to declare prayers in faith. Joshua makes this prayer that is a declaration. It says he shares it with all the people. And he says this, son, stop shining. He asks for a miracle. It's a big request, but it's in faith. He says it out loud to everyone. In fact, it's not even the right prayer. As I told you, it's not scientifically accurate. But God knows exactly what he's asking for because God's fighting for him. He knows what his heart is yearning for. He knows the request. He knows the reasoning behind it. And so God causes the first ever solar eclipse because he answers this big prayer that Joshua prays in faith out loud. He goes all in. He does not pray like this. 
Is anybody around? Okay. Sun, stop shining. Waits 20 minutes. Something weird's happening. And he's like, oh, it's working. Sun, stop shining. And everyone's like, wow. Because he saw it happen already. Many of us pray like that, right? We're afraid to pray big prayers and declare them out loud for we kind of have to hedge our bet. We don't want God to fail us. Many of us have these big requests, these deep longings of our heart, these miracles that we're asking for, but we pray them under our breath. We even kind of believe as we pray them that they're silly, they're pointless, there's no way God is going to answer this. But I mean, I might as well try. And then many of us have given up trying. We've given up praying. We've given up declaring these big requests. And if we do, we do it under our breath. There's deep things in our heart that we're praying for in this room. I know it. Many of you are praying for the healing of a relationship that seems impossible to be healed. Many of you are praying for the full restoration of your body or the body of a friend of yours. Or the full restoration of your mind. For the stability of mental health. Many of you are, are praying for provision in your budget. You saw inflation blow up your budget. You didn't do anything different. And you're like, God, you need to help here. Many of you are praying for justice for the oppressed. And it feels like, is it ever going to come? Many of you are praying for a spirit of patience and truth and respect in our culture. And you feel like, I don't know, I don't, I just see it getting worse. Many of you are praying for salvation for a friend or a family member, but you know that they are so far away from even being open to have a conversation with God that it feels silly to pray it. What do we see here? Joshua prays a prayer that if you're around Joshua, you're like, what did you say? Sun stops shining. It's morning. And yet he doesn't hedge his bet. He prays a big prayer. Believing that God will accomplish what he's asking. Now I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that every single time you just pray some big miracle out loud, God just has to answer it. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. God answers prayers when you declare them out loud. He does miracles. He's the same God. We just sang that song. Do you believe that God could make the sun stop shining and bring a solar eclipse right now? I do. Do you believe that anything is impossible for God? I don't. We're to be people that listen to God and pray big prayers because we believe in a big God who can do anything. Knowing that when God doesn't answer our prayer, that we go to the New Testament and says we need to continue to pray without ceasing. We don't stop praying. Because God knows what's in our heart and he knows how to answer it rightly. Sometimes it's in the moment. Sometimes it's over a period of time. But he wants us to pray big prayers and not hedge our bets. Listen to what it says in the book of James. James chapter 1 verse 6 says this. But let him ask in faith. Notice this word. With no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I mean, it can't be more clear than that, right? When you ask in faith, don't doubt. 
And how do you know that you can ask in faith and declare in faith and not doubt? Because you know Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is able to do far more than you could ever ask for or even think? Sometimes we pray like God is not able to do what we ask for. Or he's not able to do what we think about. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, as he tells us in Brickell in 2023, he can do more than you could ever imagine. He could change anything. He could make anything new. He can restore anything. He can make the sun stop shining. He's the same God. Ask in faith. Are you listening to him in faith? Are you praying in faith? Are you declaring in faith? I want to tell you a story in closing of a town in East Germany called Leipzig. Look, this story takes place in 1989. It's a true story. Leipzig is a, a smaller town, actually quite medium-sized, 500,000, 600,000 people at the time. And it was run in 1989 by the Soviet Union. There was great oppression there, difficulty, famine, hardship. West Germany was a different story. It was free, but East Germany was under communist rule. There was a small group of believers that had the audacity to believe that God could change things. That they should listen to God. They should pray to God. They should declare big things and believe in big things. So they started a prayer group on Monday nights at 5 p.m. Every week, they would gather for prayer in different churches that would host, in different spaces that would host. And then after they prayed and listened to God, they would go out into the streets, they'd light a candle, and they would walk silently as a quiet protest, declaring and asking for God to bring light into darkness. They did this over a period of time, and the movement began to grow from a smaller group of people to 50,000 people. 50,000 people on Mondays at 5 p.m. praying and then walking silently, holding a candle, asking God to bring light into darkness. Now, as this is growing, the leadership and the government was fed up. They saw it as a threat. So one evening in October, October 9th, they asked 2,000 soldiers to arm themselves and to go to the church, which is a larger church where they were hosting that prayer event, to sit inside as kind of this, this uh, physical symbol of force. And if they left the church and started to walk in the streets holding the candle, to shoot them. So 2,000 armed soldiers go. They sit in the service. That night there was 70,000 people at the church, in and around and all over, praying. And the soldiers are inside in the pews sitting there during a, a prayer service. Service is over. Everybody goes out to the street. You know what they did? They lit a candle, and they started to walk. But not a soldier fired a shot. The German Christians believed that prayer silenced their weapons. What happened next week was that 70,000 went to 120,000 people. 
the week after that, it was 500,000 people. That's almost the entire population of Leipzig. The week after that, the news spread to East Germany, where one night, a million people gathered in prayer and walked in the streets holding a candle. The police were ordered to shoot them down, and they defied the orders. And it was November 7th, 1989, when there was no more movement, no more authority from the government upon the people. And guess what happened? The wall fell, and East Berlin was liberated. Light came into darkness. Right after that, the town of Leipzig, the leadership there put up a banner. You know what the banner said? We thank you, church. Isn't that amazing? A group of people believed that they listened to God if they prayed in faith, if they declared in faith, and here's the last lesson, if they walked in faith, that God could move. He could liberate an entire city. He could change the future for millions of people. He could change the state of a country. And he did. This is just 30 years ago. He can stop the sun from shining. He can answer whatever request you have in your heart. Whatever miracle you're clinging to or desiring, he can answer it. We're to be people that listen to him, that pray to him, that declare in faith, don't hedge your bets, don't doubt, and walk in faith. You see, we're not passive. Joshua's not passive in the passage. He doesn't come to God and listen to him, and God says, don't fear, and then he just kind of waits and declares something in faith. No, no, he, he walks. He moves. His faith is active. It calls him to gather the people. we got to go into battle. And the same is true of us, friends. Our faith is active. When you listen to God and he speaks to you, he's going to call you to do something. Action is involved when God speaks. A change of something, a belief of something, a pursuit of something, a protection of something. It's as we walk in faith, as we're listening to him and following his ways, it's as we're walking that we're declaring. We're holding out candles, saying, God, I'm believing. I'm asking. Light into darkness. Miracle. I believe that you can do that. You're the same God of Joshua chapter 10. See, I want to close by saying this, friends. When Jesus came to earth and lived the perfect life, died on the cross for our sins and our shame and our guilt. When he was buried and he came forth alive on the third day, resurrected. Belief in that. Who Jesus is, fully man, fully God, the Savior, who invites you simply by God's grace to believe in faith in him. He invites you into change. It's salvation. He saves you. Not just your life now but your eternal life as well. But Jesus saves you, not so that you can survive the world while you're here. That's not why Jesus saves you. He saves you so that he can change you for the future and eternity, but also he saves you so you can change the world while you're here. See, Jesus' salvation changes everything. If you've come to faith in Jesus, you know that. 
Do you know that it changed your desires? It changed your perspective? It changed everything about your life? But it doesn't stop with just changing you. It changes everyone and everything through you. One of the great privileges of the Christian faith is that you get to be an agent of change in the world. That God's plan for your life involves God's plan to change the world. You see, Jesus told us very clearly that there is a prayer that we are to listen to him, we're to pray, and we're to declare in faith. It's the Lord's Prayer. And one of the lines of the Lord's Prayer goes like this. Your will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. See, that prayer, God, would you bring your will Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Would you bring heaven to earth? That that prayer is validated by what Jesus says at the very end of Scripture in Revelation, that he is making all things new. God's plan and his purpose is to make everything new, to make you new, to make your life new, to make your relationships new, to heal the brokenness, to wipe away the tears that you have, but it's to make this earth new too. And as you pray that prayer, as you listen to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm going to pray and I'm going to declare and I'm going to believe that your will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That you don't pray that prayer with passivity. You walk in it. It's a prayer that you declare, but you walk in it. For you have been invited to change the world by God's grace. To declare big prayers like, sun, stop shining. Not just so that the victory can be yours. Joshua's whole thing wasn't just so that the victory could be his. It's that everyone there could see so clearly that God fought for Israel. He made them panicked and confused. He brought stones from heaven, and he stopped the sun from shining. You see, as you pray, friends, you're to walk in those prayers. You're to believe those prayers, and don't doubt. Declare them. Listen to God. We're to be walking in heaven on earth. And where we see hell in our own lives and the lives of others, we pray against it. We declare. We believe. We want to be the change. We want to be ambassadors. A great privilege of walking in faith and believing that our own individual purpose involves God's great purpose to change everything. Just as he changed us when we came to faith. Amen. Will you pray with me?